you have your copy of Scripture, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 4 this morning. We're going to have one verse that we're going to kind of focus in on this morning. So I encourage you to, to take your Scripture and open it to that passage, Matthew, chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> be reading from the English Standard Version. It's a verse that many of you may have committed to memory. But he answered, Jesus speak, speaking here, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Last week, we talked about a healthy church. We started this series where we talking about what is a healthy church. And the danger in that is you could complete the series and then we say, okay, let's, uh, let's do these things that we're, we're talking about. Let's, let's do what was discussed. Let's, let's make sure that we are a healthy church. And um, so my prayer is that is what happens. Um, last week we talked that a healthy church displays the character of God as his character is revealed in God's word, which makes the most obvious place to start building a healthy church would be through the proclamation and the listening of God's word. So we need to believe that the word of God is the source of life and health. And we do believe that. The Word of God feeds the church, the Word of God develops the church, and the Word of God perseveres the church's understanding of the gospel. And so we gave an introduction last week. This week we want to talk about expositional preaching. Next week we'll talk about biblical theology. Then we'll talk about the gospel. And then we'll talk about our understanding of what conversion actually is. Then our understanding of what evangelism is. And then our understanding of what church membership should be. And then we will talk about church discipline. And then we will talk about a concern for discipleship and growth in the church. And then we will talk about biblical leadership and what that looks like so this morning expositional preaching so when we talk about that we are saying that it means that both the pastors and the congregations congregation in our case must be committed to expositional preaching well what is that what is expositional preaching? Well, in its purest form, expositional preaching is preaching that exposes God's Word. So it takes a passage of Scripture, it explains that passage of Scripture, and then it applies the meaning of the passage to the life of the congregation. Expositional preaching is geared at getting what God says to God's people as well as those that are not His people. A commitment 
to expositional preaching is a commitment to the hearing of the word of God. Expositional preaching is not only the first mark of a healthy church, but it is the most essential mark of all of the marks. Because when we get this mark of expositional preaching right, the other areas that I just listed will eventually follow. The central role of any pastor is expositional preaching. Exposing God's word to God's people. And it is what pastors should do and what every congregation should ask for from their pastors. The reason this is so vital is that God acts by his spirit through his word. Now, this isn't to say that there are no other forms of preaching because there are many types of preaching. There's topical preaching, for example, which is what I'm doing through this series. If you've been here long, you know that typically I preach expositionally. But this series is a topical series. This is where you'll preach some scriptures on a topic like prayer or giving or the health of a church in our case. Or there's also biographical preaching where you take the life of someone that the Bible portrays and you preach on that character. There's not necessarily anything wrong with these types of preachings and they are helpful on occasion. However, the regular diet of a church should consist of the explanation and the application of particular portions of God's word. The practice of expositional preaching presumes a belief that what God says is authoritative for God's people. It presumes that his people should hear it and that they need to hear it or our congregation will be deprived of the hearing of the word of God, which is what he intends to use in order to shape our congregations into his image. Expositional preaching presumes that God intends for his church to learn from both testaments, as well as from every genre of scripture, the law, wisdom, history, prophecy, the gospels, the epistles, an expositional preacher seeks to have his congregation fed by the entirety of the word of God, therefore making for a healthy congregation. The expositional preacher's authority begins and ends with the scripture. So when a preacher speaks, he's called to have the authority to speak from God as long as they are speaking God's word. The minute the preacher quits speaking God's word and, and kind of goes off on, on, well, we're not going to use this today, that's the minute you better stop listening. And that's the minute that they've stopped losing any authority that they could possibly have because the preacher's authority comes from the word of God. And so this morning... I want to set out to prove to us why, we, why it is that we need expositional preaching as a church and why that is the main mark of any church that is going to be healthy. So if we want to be a healthy church, why it is that we need to have expositional preaching as a healthy church. So we're going to look at 
the centrality of the Word of God. One main point, the centrality of the Word of God today, and then everything else will support that point. The centrality of the Word of God. Preaching should almost always be expositional because the Word of God should be central in directing the preaching. In fact, churches should have God's Word directing everything they do. We know that God's Word brings life, and that is the pattern throughout the entirety of Scripture. So if we want the church to have life, then it stands to reason that God's Word should be central. And so when someone says, well, this is a dead church, the only reason that a church would not have life would be because the word of God is not central in that church because God's word brings life. In Genesis chapter 1, God literally creates everything, including people, by his word. Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham out of Ur by the word of promise. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God gives the prophet Ezekiel a vision to share with the exiles in Babylon about the great resurrection to life that would come about by God's word. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is called the word. He is the word made flesh. In Romans chapter 10, spiritual life comes to us by the word. God creates life by his word. And it must be central in our churches. So what I want to do is look at the centrality of God's word in our lives, and then we'll see what that means for our churches. So the focus will be on four main conclusions or four main points. The function of God's word in bringing life, the function of God's word in preaching, the function of God's word in our sanctification, and the function a preacher of God's word should have in the church. So first, function of God's word in bringing life. In order to do this, we start where the Bible starts, Genesis chapter 1. We see that it's by the word that God created the world and all life that's in the world. God spoke and it happened. Genesis chapter 3, we see what happened after God speaks life into existence, right? Because the fall is unraveled for us in Genesis chapter 3. We see that our first parents sin, and that because of their sin, they're cast out of God's presence. However, in God's great grace, hope is not lost, because God sent his word to them by a great promise. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we see the promise. God curses the serpent, and he warns that the offspring of woman will crush the serpent and that is the first word of hope that adam and eve receive after their own sin fast forward genesis chapter 12 we see that god's word comes to abram he's called out of ur of the chaldeans the word of god's promise at the beginning of genesis chapter 12 is a drawing promise to Abraham, drawn Abraham out of Ur and to follow after God. God's people were created by hearing that word of promise and then responding to it and coming out after it. So God created his people by his word. Notice we have no record of Abram setting up a committee to figure out God's word. We don't have that. Abram's not like, oh, I need to form a committee and we need to figure out if this really is God's word or not. Instead, 
we read that he was made the father of God's people because God's word came specifically to Abraham. And what did he do? He believed it. He trusted God for what God said. The children of Abraham expanded in the promised land. Eventually they go down into Egypt and guess what? They find themselves in slavery for centuries. And just when it looks like all hope is lost and they're going to be enslaved forever, what does God do? He sends his word. Exodus chapter 3 verse 4. God calls out to Moses. Moses sees the burning bush. And though it was a fascinating sight, for sure, it would have been pointless to have a burning bush if God did not speak from the bush. God's word did not just come to Moses and his descendants, but to the whole nation of Israel. And God calls them his people by his word. Exodus chapter 20. God gives the law to his people. And by accepting God's law, they became his people. It was by God's word that the people of Israel were constituted as God's special people. And as we trace through the Old Testament, we see God's word playing a fundamental and even distinguishing role throughout it. Because some people hear it and others refuse it. They refuse to hear it. The phrase, the word of the Lord came, or its equivalents, is used more than 38 times hundred times in the Old Testament over and over and over again as God created and led his people the word of the Lord came and God's people were those that heard God's word of promise and then they responded to those words in faith in the Old Testament God's word always came as a means of faith God is always the primary object of our faith but that means very little if the object of our faith is not defined. So we say we have a, God is the object of our faith, but the object of that faith must be defined. So how do we define who God is and what God has called us to do? Well, we could just make it up, which is what some people do. Or we could depend upon God to tell us. And we believe he has told us. We believe that God himself has actually spoken to us. How? By his word. Therefore, we trust it. We rely on it. We have faith in it because it is his very word. So God led his people in the Old Testament by his word. This is why the word of God is central in creating faith. It presents to us God and his promises from all kinds of individual promises through the Old and New Testaments, culminating in the greatest promise of all, that our great hope and the object of our faith, Christ himself. The word of God shows us what we are to believe. So for the Christian, the speed of sound, meaning the word we hear, is in a sense greater than the speed of light, which is the things that we actually see. It is as if in the fallen world, we perceive in the future, perceive the future first by our ears and not by our eyes. So let's quickly look at the outstanding vision given to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. Because it reveals to us that life comes from the very word of God. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 6 say, The hand of the Lord was upon me, 
And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there was very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will say, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. What an encouraging and powerful vision. Now in verses 7 through 10, we get to see what happens as Ezekiel responds to the word of God in obedience. Verses 7 through 10, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then God interprets a vision. He tells Ezekiel that these bones stand for the whole house of Israel who say our hope is gone. And God answers to Israel as it was to the dry bones. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. How does God do this? You guessed it, if you guessed, by his word. Now, to make the point as clear as possible, God calls Ezekiel to start preaching to this bunch of dry bones. And through that preaching of the word of God, God brings life to the bones. God has Ezekiel speak to, to his word or speak his word to them while they are dead. And he does so and they come to life. God used Ezekiel to speak to a nation that would not listen to him. And God spoke into nothingness and he created a world by the power of his word. And God's word came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Is what John chapter 1 verse 10 tells us. And yet through Christ, God has begun to create a new society on earth. So let's turn our attention to the supreme picture of God's word bringing life into the world. John chapter 1 verse 1 and then verses 3 and 4. The, the supreme picture that we can possibly imagine of God bringing life into the world. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. It is in Christ that the word of God has fully and finally come to us. This was modeled by Jesus throughout his ministry. When he first started his ministry, the disciples told him that, they were, that there were many people looking for him. 
because they wanted him to do some more miracles and to heal them. And Jesus responded in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Later on in Mark, we find that Jesus knew that he had fundamentally come to lay down his life for our sins. In Mark 10.45, however, if that event is going to be understood, then Jesus had to teach. If they're going to understand why he came, he had to teach them his word. In Acts chapter 2, we find Peter preaching God's word. And it brings life. Men and women heard the truth about God, their sins, and the provision that God made through the sending of Jesus. And when they heard the message, it says that they were cut to the heart and they cried out, Brother, what shall we do? And God's word created his people. The church was founded by the word of God. All through scripture we see that God acts, but he does not stop with just his action. After God acts... He speaks. He interprets what he has done so that we can understand what he did. That's the point. God doesn't allow his acts to speak for themselves, but instead he speaks in order to interpret for us his great saving acts. So when we think about the verbal nature of God, we see that it fits who we are, don't we? How do we get to know people? How do we get to know one another? Do we just kind of watch one another? And that's how we get to know one another? I wouldn't recommend doing that. That's kind of creepy. Okay? If, if you're just watching somebody, you're going to creep them out. That's not how we get to know people. We have conversations with them. Husbands and wives can learn about each other through physical intimacy, yes. But there's something profound about knowing each other through cognitive communication. Words are important to relationships. Words are vital in relationships. And because we are separated from God by our sin, God must speak so that we know him. If God does not speak, then God will not be known. If God never spoke a word, then he would not, uh, we would not know him and we could not rely on him and, and, and we wouldn't know what to do. God must reveal himself. And that is the point of the Bible. God's revelation of himself to us. And so it's God's revelation to us because of our sins. We can never know God and without God's word. So either God speaks or we're lost forever. In darkness and in speculation about who God is. But we don't have to speculate. And we see this throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Romans 10, 17 tells us, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the message of the gospel. God has made his word known to us. We've sinned. We've separated ourselves from God. And therefore God in his great love has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, took on flesh, and our sin and died on the cross as a substitute for all those who had ever turned to God and trust in him. That he was raised from the dead by God as a testimony that God's wrath was satisfied and Christ's sacrifice was accepted. And he calls us now to repent and trust in him. We find that through his word. 
Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trust in and relying on the truth of God's word. That he raised Christ is the way to salvation. The way to be included in the people of God. And so we see that God has created his people by the speaking of his word. His greatest word is Christ. This is how the author of Hebrews puts it. In Hebrews, he says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God's word must be central. Because God, God's Holy Spirit creates God's people by his word. There's no other way to create a people, church. God's people are created by God's word. And that's the great temptation of many churches, is it not? To try to find some other way to create God's people. We try to create God's people around ethnicity. Try to create God's people around music. Try to create God's people around a building program. Try to create God's people around denominational identity. And we can create a people around those things. We can create a people around care groups and community service and projects and social opportunities, things for young singles and young mothers. We can create a people around those things. We can create a people around men's groups and senior adults and young people. We can create a people around personality of the preacher. I'm not saying that God could not use these things because he can use those things. But the church of God, the people of God, can only be created around the word of God. So when the great reformer Martin Luther was asked about his accomplishments, he said this, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. Church, we must understand that the word of God brings life. It brings life. We can say all we want. Well, this church is dead or that church is dead. But the word of God is what brings life. Not programs. Not, not personalities. Not cool things. Not our music. Not our building. They surely can represent that we have life. But they do not bring life. The word of God alone brings life. So we've seen the function of God's word in bringing life. Now let's see the function of God's word in preaching. So one of the reasons I preached through 1 Corinthians a few years back was because in it we have Paul specifically addressing a church. And in chapters 11 through 14, we have instruction on what a Christian gathering should be like. Paul gives a summary of his main concern in verse 26 of chapter 14. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation in a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things done be done for building up. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. So Paul is saying everything that church does is to be done to build up. And throughout 
First Corinthians, this is the standard for deciding what should be done in the congregation. The same standard of usefulness and edification especially should be applied to the thing that we have said is central in Christianity or in a Christian congregation, which is preaching. So what preaching will most edify the church? What preaching will most build up and edify the church? Well, the answer would be that preaching which exposes God's word to God's people, which would be expositional preaching. Believe it or not, not all preaching is biblical. I know that may shock some of you. Now, I know there are those who have doubts about expositional preaching being the basic diet in the church. They would say, well, I've heard comments sometimes. Well, we're in the same book for a year. Okay, that's expositional preaching. Let me ask you this. When God gave Moses specific instructions for the kings that would come in Israel, do you remember what God required? You probably don't, but let me read it to you. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, by keeping all the words of his law, these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that they may not turn aside from the commandments, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. And that is, and what is it that, that marks a righteous man? Do you know what it is that marks a righteous man? Book of Psalms tells us. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. This very delight is echoed over and over again in Psalm 119. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. I obey your statutes for I love them. Your law is my delight. This delight in God's word and the delivering of that word is a wonderful burden of Christian preaching. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but we live in an age of literacy where we have the printed word available to us all. Why would we not take advantage of that in our preaching? In earlier times, preachers did not have these advantages. They would have... have uh, um, to memorize things. They would preach consecutive sermon series throughout portions of scripture. They followed in the footsteps of Moses, whom Jethro charged with teaching the people the law. Moses was following in the steps of Josiah, who read in the people's hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Josiah was following in the steps of Ezra, and the returning Levites who read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people could understand what was being read in Nehemiah 8.8. There is a pattern of the teaching of God's word being central in the gathering of God's people, and it continued into the time of Christ. In Jesus' day, they would read through the scripture in lectionary cycles of a year or two in the synagogue. Readers of God's word would make comments on the text as Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. We really don't know how much the first churches were modeled after the synagogue meeting of the time, but we do know this, that expositional series 
from people like Chrysostom and earlier Christians. Christian preachers suggest to us the pattern of expositional preaching was widespread. So the sermon or summaries in the New Testament are few in number. And they show a concern to be relevant to the hearer's cultural setting, but also a concern to be rooted in the scripture. Of course, some of the early Christians lacked the advantages that we have. Such as the text of scriptures being readily available to them to examine during every sermon. They, didn't, they couldn't just be like, oh, like you guys are. Here, turn to Matthew 4, 4, and you guys just open your Bible and flip to it. Or some of you just whip out your smartphone, boom, Matthew 4, 4, I'm there. They didn't have that. They would just have to memorize it and say it. They couldn't open in their scripture. It wasn't readily available to them. And so expositional preaching relied on mnemonic devices like repetition of the lectionary, but Peter's sermon at Pentecost seems to have a meditation, an exposition, and an application. It's from portions of Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. The author of Hebrews spends long sections instructing on Psalm 95 and Psalm 110. What this reveals to us is that it is good to preach the truth, and it is better to preach the truth in such a way that the people can see where they get the truth. Former professor of theology, C.E., Cranfield said this, the practice of preaching through biblical books section by section in order can be, I have long believed, if followed intelligently and sensitively, enormously beneficial to the church. It's been said of John MacArthur, who preaches expositionally, here is a preacher who has nothing in the way of winning personality, good looks, or charm. How would you like to be John MacArthur? You were just told you don't look good, you don't have any charm, and you don't have a very good personality. Here's a preacher who offers us nothing in the way of sophisticated homiletical packaging. No one would suggest that he is a master of the art of oratory. What he seems to have is a witness to true authority. He recognizes in Scripture the Word of God, and when he preaches, it is Scripture that one hears. It is not that the words of John MacArthur are so interesting as it is the word of God is of surpassing interest. That is why some listen. The function of God's word in preaching must be central in the church. Next, let's see the function of God's word in sanctification. What function does God's word play in yours and mine's sanctification? When you say, well, what is sanctification? Well, sanctification is the process of a believer becoming more and more like Christ. So the word of God must be central in our lives as individuals and as a church because God's spirit uses God's word to create faith in us and help us to grow. This is clear in the scripture. Jesus replies to Satan by quoting scripture from Deuteronomy, which we read at the beginning. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I am sure that many of us have Psalm 119, 105 committed to memory. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when we look at the history of Israel and Judah in the Old Testament, we see that sanctifying power of God's word over and over again. When King Josiah was reigning and Judah was declining, the law, the written word of God, was rediscovered and it was read to him. What was Josiah's response? He tears his clothes in repentance 
and then reads the word to the people. A national recovery came. It's God's word went out. God uses his word to sanctify his people and to make them more like himself. This is precisely what Jesus taught. In what is known as a high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. Paul wrote that uh, this in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. We need God's word for salvation, but we need it to continually challenge us and shape us into the image of Christ. His word not only gives us life, but it also provides the direction. It keeps on molding us. It keeps on shaping us in the image of God who's speaking to us. At the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church had a Latin phrase that they liked to use, kind of like a motto. It was semper idem. It means always the same. How would you like that to be your motto? Oh, we're just always the same. Semper idem, always the same, never changing. Well, eventually in the late 1600s, along came the Second Reformation, and this phrase was developed. Ecclesia reformata semper reformanda secundum verbum dei, which is the church reformed always being reformed according to the word of God. A healthy church is a church that hears the word of God and they continue to listen to the word of God. A healthy church is a church that is composed of individual Christians, which would be you, who hear the word of God, which would be you, and continue to hear the word of God and are always being refashioned and reshaped by God's word. God shapes us. He uses his word to do it. Constantly being washed in the word of God and sanctified by the truth of God's word. For our own personal health as Christians and corporately as a church, we must continue to be shaped in new and more profound ways, not by our own agenda but by God's agenda in our lives God shapes us and he makes us like himself through his word he washes over us he refreshes us and he reshapes us which brings us to our final point this morning the function a preacher of God's word should have in the church now, this is where it gets dangerous, because if I describe something that's not me, you guys should fire me. So this is, where, this is where it gets dangerous. If someone's looking for a good church, then the most important thing they should consider is the role of the preacher of God's word. That's the most important thing. I know we like to consider everything else. Well, do they have good music? Or do they have this? Or what, what does it look like? And this, that, and the other. We come up with all kinds of things to consider other than the most important thing, which is the role of the preacher of God's word. It does not matter how friendly the church members are. We have a pretty friendly church, if you ask me. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't. It does not matter how good we think the music is or if we think the music is not good, those things can be changed and they often do change. 
However, the congregation's commitment to the centrality of the Word of God coming from the preacher of God is the main thing. The one who is uniquely gifted by God and called to that ministry, which is a person that stands in the pulpit, is the most important thing that you can look for in a church. An article in the New Yorker magazine once lamented the audience-driven nature of preaching today. It said this, The preacher, instead of looking out upon the world, looks out upon public opinion, trying to find out what the public would like to hear. And then he tries his best to duplicate that and brings his finished product into the marketplace in which others are trying to do the same. The public turning to our church culture to find out about the world discovers there is nothing but its own reflection. You get that? So when the public peers into the church that's not focused on the centrality of the word of God, with a preacher that's focused on the centrality of the word of God, the world peers into the church and what do they see? A reflection of themselves. And who wants that? It's not the way it should be. Preachers are not called to preach in what's popular according to the latest cultural polls. People already know what that is. And it doesn't bring life. Preachers are not called to preach on some sort of moral exhortation to the people or to give some sort of great history lesson or to give social commentary. Those things can be a part of preaching, yes, but they are not to be the thrust of our preaching. We are called to preach the word of God to the church of God and to everyone in the creation of God. This is how God brings life, through his word. Every person is flawed. Every person has their faults. Everyone has sinned against a holy God, and the terrible thing about our fallen nature is that we are greedy to find ways to justify our sin against God. We are greedy to say, oh, well, I, I did this because of this, and, and I, I blame my parents, or I blame my upbringing, or I blame, blame my culture, or I blame this or that, and we, we are so greedy to try to justify ourselves to God. Every single one of us wants to know how we can defend ourselves from God's charges that are brought against us therefore we are in desperate need to hear god's word brought truthfully to us that we do not hear what we want to hear but rather we hear what god has actually said this is vital because god's holy spirit creates his people by his word this is exactly why paul told timothy timothy Form a committee to make some decisions. No, that's not what he said. Timothy, take a survey to gauge what you need to preach on and figure out what the people want to hear. That's not what he said. Timothy, make sure that you preach to people's felt needs. That's not what he said. Timothy, make sure that you exhaust yourself in visiting people or make sure that you read good books or make sure that you do all these other things no that's not what Paul said Paul said Timothy preach the word 2 Timothy 4 2 
That's the great imperative of that time. Timothy preached the word and it's a great imperative of our time. Preach the word. This is why the apostles earlier had made the determination that even though there were problems to be solved when it came to the distribution of financial aid in Jerusalem, but they said this, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Why there are problems to be taken care of. Why is prayer and the ministry of the word a priority? Because the word is the word of life. Philippians 2.16 The word is not preached. If God's word is not proclaimed, everyone remains in spiritual darkness and is spiritually dead. The great task of the preacher is to hold forth the word of life to people who need it for their souls. You will hear a lot about preaching in today's society. Some will say that it needs to be less rational and more artistic. Some will say less authoritarian and elitist, more participatory and communal. Some will say it should not be using this ancient method of communicating God's truth of one person standing up in front of other people talking in a monologue to others. We have to have multiple video clips and some drama and some dialogues and maybe some dancing going on or something. Yet there is something that is right and good about this ancient method that makes it appropriate, perhaps especially appropriate for our culture today. Our culture today is, is so everyone do their own thing. Our culture today is anti-authoritarian. People are confused and confusing. And it's appropriate to gather together and listen to one who is standing in the place of God, giving the word of God to us that we contribute absolutely nothing to it other than to hear it and to heed it. There is coming a day when our faith will give way to sight and sermons will be no more. And I can assure you that I look forward to that day when I will no longer have to prepare a sermon, not because I don't like doing it, but because we won't need faith anymore because we will see the Lord. And that's the great grand climax of scripture. They will see his face. Revelation 22, 4. And at that point, you and I won't need any preaching because we can see him with our own eyes. We will be able to look into the face of Jesus Christ who we put our faith in this entire time. But we're not there yet. We're still laboring under the weight of sin of our first parents and our own sins every single day. However, by the grace of God, we don't give in. We don't give up to total despair because he gives us his word and he gives us faith and we're in a day of faith. And so just like our first parents before us, like Noah and Abraham, like the Israelites and like the apostles, we rely on God's word. What does this mean for our churches? It means the preaching of God's word must 
be central. It means there must be sound expositional preaching often and that it will be the foundation of growth in a church. Forget what all the experts tell us. Preach the word and watch hungry people have their lives transformed by the living word of God that speaks to them through the power of his word. God's word is the way to salvation and it often is the beginning of reformation. As Paul said, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. This does not mean that expositional preaching will always be popular. In fact, it is not. And it does not mean that numbers will increase and people will be baptized. What it does mean is that the church will always be right. It does mean that God's children will be fed the food they need. For man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We live in a day and age of text messaging. Some of you old timers that don't, that don't do that, think of this like a phone call, okay? But sometimes you get a message, right? And you read your text message and you think, well, this does not require me to return a message. And occasionally you'll read it and think, I can return this message later. It's not pressing or immediate. And sometimes you look at the message And you know you need to get back to that person right away. For some of you, in my experience, that's that's you never think that. Because I've texted some people and they like never respond. But anyway. But sometimes you look at the message and you think, well, I got I gotta respond immediately. What if the Lord's messaged you or called you? You'd probably snap into action, right? If you knew it was the Lord. Here's the thing, church. We say that we believe the Bible is the actual word of God. That it is God speaking to us. And yet, how often do we just ignore it? We set it aside. We don't think about it. We don't ponder its words. And we just ignore it. Our lives get ignored or get absorbed by things like watching television, going out with our friends, playing a game, running our kids everywhere, reading other books that we want to read other than the Bible. And none of these things are bad. But what does it mean when we say we believe the Bible is the holy word of God? What does it mean? It means that we should take his word and we should hear it and we should heed it. There are many people these days, even those who say that they believe the Bible is the word of God, who have no intention of following it. It is not surprising to hear that 35% of self-professed born-again Christians say they are still searching for the meaning of life which is the very same percentage for non-Christians. 
What good, good does it do for us to think that we have the word of God if we don't pay attention to it? If we don't read it? We don't pray over it? And we don't stake our life on it? Preaching must have a certain content to it. A transparency about it. The people listening to the preaching should know they are hearing God's word preached. Church members should encourage the preacher by praying for them and thanking God for the biblical preaching. It is good to preach the truth and preach it in such a way that people can see where the truth is coming from because that, more than anything, is what Christians need. For over five years, I've had one goal as the pastor. That was to preach the word of God faithfully. And to allow God's word to do God's work and bring us life. The church must have the centrality of God's word in worship. Music is good. It's biblically required response to God's word. But the music was never given to build the church. A church that is built on music of whatever style is a church that's built on shifting sand. Church, pray for me. As your pastor, pray that I will commit myself to study scripture rigorously, carefully, and earnestly. Pray that God will lead me to understand the word and to apply it to my own life and to apply it wisely to the church's life. Understand that it takes time to prepare good sermons. That preaching is the fundamental component of pastoring. Do not be afraid of speaking words of encouragement to my soul. Because it is encouraging. When I hear that the faithfulness that I have shown to the word has grown you in grace. It is very encouraging. I pray daily for our church and for its people. What is a healthy church? What makes a healthy church or a good church? More than parking or the pews or the greeting or the programs or the children's ministry or the nursery or the music or anything else, including the preacher, it is this. What is preached? The word of God proclaimed is what makes a healthy church or a good church. Why? Because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the question for you, church, is a simple one. Are you committed to the hearing and to the heeding of the word of God? Because that, my dear friends, is the main mark of a healthy church. And if we don't have that right, then we might as well just close up shop and forget about having church altogether. Are you committed to the hearing and the heeding of the proclamation of the word of God? Here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this message. If you feel like you need to respond, I don't know what that may be. I don't know how... God may have used his word this morning to speak to you. Maybe you just need to pray and say, Lord, I've not been committed to your word. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've not been committed to heeding, hearing and heeding. I don't know. I just want to give you the opportunity 
to respond. Maybe for the first time, the gospel made sense. And you need to respond. I want to encourage you that I'll be standing down front. You just got to come forward and grab my hand. Or if you want to come up here and pray on your own or pray in your pew, you can do that. But I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Will you bow with me in prayer?